Chapter Nineteen of Astoria, or Anecdotes of an Enterprise Beyond the Rocky Mountains by Washington Irving. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Great Bend of the Missouri. Crooks and McClellan meet with two of their Indian opponents. Wanton outrage of a white man. The cause of Indian hostility. Dangers and precautions. An Indian war party. Dangerous situation of Mr. Hunt. A friendly encampment feasting and dancing approach of manuel lisa and his party a grim meeting between old rivals pierre dorian in a fury a burst of chivalry on the afternoon of the following day june first they arrived at the great bend where the river winds for about thirty miles round a circular peninsula the neck of which is not above two thousand yards across on the succeeding morning at an early hour they descried two indians standing on a high bank of the river waving and spreading their buffalo robes in signs of amity they immediately pulled to shore and landed on approaching the savages however the latter showed evident symptoms of alarm spreading out their arms horizontally according to their mode of supplicating clemency the reason was soon explained they proved to be two chiefs of the very war party that had brought messrs crooks and mcclellan to a stand two years before and obliged them to escape down the river they ran to embrace these gentlemen as if delighted to meet with them yet they evidently feared some retaliation of their past misconduct nor were they quite at ease until the pipe of peace had been smoked mr hunt having been informed that the tribe to which these men belonged had killed three white men during the preceding summer reproached them with the crime and demanded their reasons for such savage hostility we kill white men replied one of the chiefs because white men kill us that very man added he pointing to carson one of the new recruits killed one of our brothers last summer the three white men were slain to avenge his death their chief was correct in his reply carson admitted that being with a party of ericras on the banks of the missouri and seeing a war party of sioux on the opposite side he had fired with his rifle across it was a random shot made without much expectation of effect for the river was full half a mile in breadth unluckily it brought down a sioux warrior for whose wanton destruction threefold vengeance had been taken as has been stated in this way outrages were frequently committed on the natives by thoughtless or mischievous white men the indians retaliate according to a law of their code which requires blood for blood their act of what with them is pious vengeance resounds throughout the land and is represented as wanton and unprovoked the neighborhood is roused to arms a war ensues which ends in the destruction of half the tribe the ruin of the rest and their expulsion from their hereditary homes such is too often the real history of indian warfare which in general is traced up only to some vindictive act of a savage while the outrage of the scoundrel white man that provoked it is sunk in silence the two chiefs having smoked their pipe of peace and received a few presents departed well satisfied in a little while two others appeared on horseback and rode up abreast of the boats they had seen the presents given to their comrades but were dissatisfied with them and came after the boats to ask for more being somewhat peremptory and insolent in their demands 
mr hunt gave them a flat refusal and threatened if they or any of their tribes followed him with similar demands to treat them as enemies they turned and rode off in a furious passion as he was ignorant what force these chiefs might have behind the hills and as it was very possible they might take advantage of some pass of the river to attack the boats mr hunt called all the stragglers on board and prepared for such emergency it was agreed that the large boat commanded by mr hunt should ascend along the northeast side of the river and the three smaller boats along the south side by this arrangement each party would command a view of the opposite heights above the heads and out of the sight of their companions and could give the alarm should they perceive any indians lurking there the signal of alarm was to be two shots fired in quick succession the boats proceeded for the greater part of the day without seeing any signs of an enemy about four o'clock in the afternoon the large boat commanded by mr hunt came to where the river was divided by a long sandbar which apparently however left a sufficient channel between it and the shore along which they were advancing he kept up this channel therefore for some distance until the water proved too shallow for the boat it was necessary therefore to put about return down the channel and pull round the lower end of the sandbar into the main stream just as he had given orders to this effect to his men two signal guns were fired from the boats on the opposite side of the river at the same moment a file of savage warriors was observed pouring down from the impending bank and gathering on the shore at the lower end of the bar they were evidently a war party being armed with bows and arrows battle clubs and carbines and round bucklers of buffalo hide and their naked bodies were painted with black and white stripes the natural inference was that they belonged to the two tribes of sioux which had been expected by the great war party and that they had been incited to hostility by the two chiefs who had been enraged by the refusal and the menace of mr hunt here then was a fearful predicament mr hunt and his crew seemed caught as it were in a trap the indians to a number of about a hundred had already taken possession of a point near which the boat would have to pass others kept pouring down the bank and it was probable that some would remain posted on the top of the height the hazardous situation of mr hunt was perceived by those in the other boats and they hastened to his assistance they were at some distance above the sandbar however and on the opposite side of the river and saw with intense anxiety the number of savages continually augmenting at the lower end of the channel so that the boat would be exposed to a fearful attack before they could render it any assistance their anxiety increased as they saw mr hunt and his party descending the channel and dauntlessly approaching the point of danger but it, it suddenly changed into surprise on beholding the boat pass close by the savage horde unmolested and steer out safely into the broad river the next moment the whole band of warriors was in motion they ran along the bank until they were opposite to the boats then throwing by their weapons and buffalo robes plunged into the river waded and swam off to the boats and surrounded them in crowds seeking to shake hands with every individual on board for the indians have long since found this to be the white man's token of amity and they carried it to an extreme all uneasiness was now at an end the indians proved to be a war party of arikaras mandans and minatares consisting of three hundred warriors and bound on a foray against the sioux 
their war plans were abandoned for the present and they determined to return to the Eurycra town where they hoped to obtain from the white men arms and ammunition that would enable them to take the field with advantage over their enemies the boats now sought the first convenient place for encamping the tents were pitched the warriors fixed their camp at about a hundred yards distant provisions were furnished from the boats sufficient for all parties there was hearty though rude feasting in both camps and in the evening the red warriors entertained their white friends with dances and songs that lasted until after midnight on the following morning july third the travellers re-embarked and took a temporary leave of their indian friends who intended to proceed immediately for the Eurycra town where they expected to arrive in three days long before the boats could reach there mr hunt had not proceeded far before the chief came galloping along the shore and made signs for a parley he said his people could not go home satisfied unless they had something to take with them to prove that they had met with the white men mr hunt understood the drift of the speech and made the chief a present of a cask of powder a bag of balls and three dozen of knives with which he was highly pleased while the chief was receiving these presents an indian came running along the shore and announced that a boat filled with white men was coming up the river this was by no means agreeable tidings to mr hunt who correctly concluded it to be the boat of mr manuel lisa and he was vexed to find that alert and adventurous trader upon his heels whom he hoped to have outmanoeuvred and left far behind lisa however was too much experienced in the wiles of indian trade to be lulled by the promise of waiting for him at the poncus village on the contrary he had allowed himself no repose and had strained every nerve to overtake the rival party and availing himself of the moonlight had even sailed during a considerable part of the night in this he was partly prompted by his apprehensions of the sioux having met a boat which had probably passed mr hunt's party in the night and which had been fired into by these savages on hearing that lisa was so near at hand mr hunt perceived that it was useless to attempt any longer to evade him after proceeding a few miles further therefore he came to a halt and waited for him to come up in a little while the barge of lisa made its appearance it came sweeping gently up the river manned by its twenty stout oarsmen and armed by a swivel mounted at the bow the whole number on board amounted to twenty-six men among whom was mr henry breckinridge then a young enterprising man who was a mere passenger tempted by notions of curiosity to accompany mr lisa he has since made himself known by various writings among which may be noted a narrative of this very voyage the approach of lisa while it was regarded with uneasiness by mr hunt roused the ire of mcclellan who calling to mind old grievances began to look round for his rifle as if he really intended to carry his threat into execution and shoot him on the spot and it was with some difficulty that mr hunt was enabled to restrain his ire and prevent a scene of outraged confusion the meeting between the two leaders thus mutually distrustful could not be very cordial and as to messrs crooks and mcclellan though they refrained from any outbreak yet they regarded in grim defiance their old rival and under plotter in truth a general distrust prevailed throughout the party concerning lisa and his intentions they considered him artful and slippery and secretly anxious for the failure of their expedition 
there being now nothing more to be apprehended from the sioux they suspected that lisa would take advantage of his twenty-oared barge to leave them and get first among the arikras as he had traded with those people and possessed great influence over them it was feared he might make use of it to impede the business of mr hunt and his party it was resolved therefore to keep a sharp lookout upon his movements and mcclellan swore that if he saw the least sign of treachery on his part he would instantly put his old threat into execution notwithstanding these secret jealousies and heart-burnings the two parties maintained an outward appearance of civility and for two days continued forward in company with some degree of harmony on the third day however an explosion took place and it was produced by no less a personage than pierre dorion the half-breed interpreter it will be recollected that this worthy had been obliged to steal a march from st louis to avoid being arrested for an old whiskey debt which he owed to the missouri fur company and by which mr lisa had hoped to prevent his enlisting in mr hunt's expedition dorion since the arrival of lisa had kept aloof and regarded him with a sullen and dogged aspect on the fifth of july the two parties were brought to a halt by a heavy rain and remained encamped about a hundred yards apart in the course of the day lisa undertook to tamper with the faith of pierre dorion and inviting him on board of his boat regaled him with his favourite whisky when he thought him sufficiently mellowed he proposed to him to quit the service of his new employers and return to his old allegiance finding him not to be moved by soft words he called to mind his old debt to the company and threatened to carry him off by force in payment of it the mention of this debt always stirred up the gall of pierre dorion bringing with it the remembrance of the whisky extortion a violent quarrel arose between him and lisa and he left the boat in high dudgeon his first step was to repair to the tent of mr hunt and reveal the attempt that had been made to shake his faith while he was yet talking lisa entered the tent under the pretext of coming to borrow a towing line high words instantly ensued between him and dorion which ended by the half-breeds dealing him a blow a quarrel in the indian country however is not to be settled with fisticuffs lisa immediately rushed to his boat for a weapon dorion snatched up a pair of pistols belonging to mr hunt and placed himself in battle array the noise had roused the camp and every one pressed to know the cause lisa now reappeared upon the field with a knife stuck in his girdle mr breckinridge who had tried in vain to mollify his ire accompanied him to the scene of action pierre dorion's pistols gave him the advantage and he maintained a most warlike attitude in the meantime crooks and mcclellan had learnt the cause of the affray and were eager to take the quarrel into their own hands a scene of uproar and hubbub ensued that defies description mcclellan would have brought his rifle into play and settled all old and new grudges by a pull of the trigger had he not been restrained by mr hunt that gentleman acted as moderator endeavouring to prevent a general melee in the midst of the brawl however an expression was made use of by lisa derogatory to his own honour in an instant the tranquil spirit of mr hunt was in a flame 
he now became as eager for the fight as any one on the ground and challenged lisa to settle the dispute on the spot with pistols lisa repaired to his boat to arm himself for the deadly feud he was followed by messrs bradbury and breckenridge who novices in indian life and the chivalry of the frontier had no relish for scenes of blood and brawl by their earnest mediation the quarrel was brought to a close without bloodshed but the two leaders of the rival camps separated in anger and all personal intercourse ceased between them End of chapter 19